Well, today I'm going to be speaking on the final part of our series on the prophet Joel, part four. And the title of my sermon is Lord of the Nations. And in a few moments we're going to read from Joel chapter three. Just while you're turning to it, say some things about this series. You know, often when we minister to you the word of God, we'll do it in a systematic or topical format. In other words, uh, we'll take a theme, maybe a theme on prayer or, or something like that. But it's also important for us at times to do a series on a particular book or letter of the Bible. After all, God gave us the Bible with letters and books for a reason. And so when we come to someone like the prophet Joel, it's important to hear the message, not just of a verse or two, but the message of the book of Joel to us. If you've missed any of the uh, former uh, parts of this series, they're all here, they're all there on our website for you to catch up should you wish to desire, should you desire to do that. And we have been looking at the book of Joel and the message of the book of Joel has really, he was speaking into a situation in Israel where there was a series of locust attacks. And these plague of locusts over a number of years had decimated the harvest of Israel and brought Israel to its knees agriculturally and economically. During this time, Joel was saying that God was somehow in this disaster speaking to his people. They'd become careless. They were living lives without real reference to God. God was at the periphery of their lives if he was in their lives at all. They just didn't seem to need God. Well, the locusts began to show them that they truly did need God. Then in chapter 2, Joel began to speak about the day of the Lord. This is prophetic both in the Old and New Testament, speaking about a day of the Lord. We know that in the New Testament to be the day that Jesus returns from heaven, the second coming of the Lord. And Joel speaks about this day bringing two things into the earth. It'll be fullness. On the one hand, Jesus will bring the fullness of salvation, blessing and restoration to his people. Those that have died before the Lord comes, that have believed in him and are his people. On that day, the day of the Lord, when Jesus returns, they will be raised from the dead. And uh, they will come down from heaven with the Lord and they will be reunited with their bodies. But not their old bodies that were subject to sickness, death and sin. But they will have glorified, resurrected, immortal bodies. They will be totally healed totally blessed, totally saved, totally restored. That's on the one hand, the fullness of God's salvation will come to his people on the day of the Lord. But secondly, the fullness of judgment will also come on the day of the Lord when Jesus returns. And Jesus will judge the nations, and we're going to read about that in a few moments' time, and he will judge all of those that have rejected his message, that have died in their sins and in rebellion to him. This is the day of the Lord in Joel chapter 2. 
Joel calls on the people to respond and to repent and to turn to the Lord in this time of crisis, to rend their hearts and not their garments, and that God would respond to them. God does respond to them, and he restores them the years that the locusts have eaten. He restores them materially, he prospers them, but also, even more than that, he pours out his spirit and prophesies, which is a fulfillment in the book of Acts. On the day of Pentecost, Joel says, I will pour out my spirit. So here we are, Joel chapter 3, which concludes the book of Joel, speaking again about this day of the Lord, when God will at one time bring great salvation and restoration to his people, but at the same time will bring judgment to those that have opposed his gospel. And you'll pick up these themes as we read. Joel 3.1. For behold, in those days, when at that time... I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. I will gather the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will enter into judgment with them there and on behalf of my people and my inheritance Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. And they have divided up my land. They have also cast lots for my people, traded a boy for a harlot and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. Moreover, what are you to me, O Tyre, Sidon, and all the regions of Philistia? Are you rendering me a recompense? But if you do recompense me swiftly and speedily, I'll return your recompense on your head. Since you have taken my silver and my gold, my precious treasures to your temples, and sold the sons of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their territory." Behold, I'm going to arouse them from the place where you've sold them and return your recompense on your head. And I will also sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the sons of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a distant nation, for the Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare a war, rouse the mighty men. Let all the soldiers draw near, let them come up. Beat your plowshares into uh, swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a mighty man. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down, O Lord, your mighty ones. Let the nation be aroused and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come tread the wine, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great." Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon grow dark and the stars lose their brightness. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth tremble. But the Lord is a refuge for his people and a stronghold to the sons of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. So Jerusalem will be holy, and strangers will pass through it no more. And in that day the mountains will drip with sweet wine, and the hills will flow with milk, and all the brooks of Judah will flow with water, and a spring will go out from the house of the Lord to water the valley of Shittim. Egypt will become a waste, Edom will become a desolate wilderness, because of the violence done to the sons of Judah, in whose land they have shed innocent blood." 
but Judah will be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem for all generations, and I'll avenge their blood, which I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. Amen. So you see, in this passage, did you note, as I read, these two themes? The theme of great restoration and deliverance for God's people, but alongside that theme also we see the judgment of the nations. Joel's message to the people of Israel then and to us today is this, that all of us should live in the light of the day of the Lord that is coming. Now the Christian life is really lived backwards. In other words, we should live our light our life in the light of the day of the Lord that is coming, the second coming. Throughout the New Testament, the apostles encouraged the people to change their lifestyles and to make their decisions in the light of the fact that Jesus is coming soon. We see, for example, we might, we might like to turn there in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. The Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, the Thessalonians are going through a very difficult time. They are being persecuted. They are going through a dreadful time and they're wondering, where is God in all this? And Paul ministers to them and says, hey, you're going through a difficult time, but I want you to know that the day is coming when you will be delivered, when God will fully uh, vindicate you, and that day will also judge these your enemies. It's a picture of the day of the Lord, great restoration and vindication for God's people, but also great judgment against those that have chosen to remain his enemies. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 4. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God, for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you're suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire." dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you was believed. That is one example of many in the New Testament where Paul is ministering, a little bit like Joel, to these people, the church of Thessalonica, and saying, look, as you look out on the world and the experiences that are going on, all these things are samples of the day of the Lord to come. I mentioned uh, in one of the former parts of this series an illustration of going into uh, my local Tesco supermarket and as I entered into the door, there was a, a table there on it. There was olives on sticks and little bits of cheese on sticks. It was a sample table. Now, you could go to that sample table and uh, the person behind you would say, would you like a piece of, sample a piece of cheese? So, yes, that would be lovely. And you take it. Oh, that's nice. Can I have another one? 
And they might, yeah, I suppose so. You take one, you, oh, that's very nice. Can I have another one? At that moment, the person will probably say, actually, no, it's not a full course meal for you, sir. <laughs> it's a sample. If you want the full slab of cheese, it's over there, £3.99 on special <laughs> offer. It was a sample. It was a foretaste of the cheese to come, if, if you wanted to buy it. Well, so much of what we're experiencing of the kingdom and seeing in the world today is a sample. A sample of what? A sample of the day of the Lord to come that Joel was speaking about and that we just heard Paul speaking about too. Everything that we experience of the goodness of the Lord perhaps a healing of the body or, or a blessing of promotion or every move of the Holy Spirit where God pours out his spirit and his grace on a, on a church or a community or a people or a nation. This blessing, which is like the day of Pentecost, what is that? When God moves in gracious, saving power, it's a sample. It's a foretaste of when Jesus returns with Full salvation for body, soul, and spirit for his people. It's a sample. It's a foretaste. But also, when we look around us and try and interpret the history and what's going on in the nations or in our community or our world, and we can see sometimes moves and blessings of God, it's a foretaste of God's great saving power on that day. But also, when we see tribulation in the world... When we see disasters in the world, terrible things as well as wonderful things, those terrible things are also a sign to be interpreted and a foretaste of the terrible day of the Lord. When Jesus returns, it's going to be an amazing, wonderful, glorious day for his people. But it's going to be an awesome, terrifying, uh, tremendous day of judgment for those that have decided to be remain God's enemies. It's a bit like Dick Dickens says at the beginning of his tale of two cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Well, we sample some of the best times when the Holy Spirit blesses us. It's a sample of the best time that's ever going to happen for God's people when Jesus returns. But also, when we see in this world tremendous, terrible events, they are the worst of times, but they are only a sample of the worst day that this uh, the, re the, the, the rebellious nations and those that have rebelled against God are going to experience on that day. It's samples. Think about Jesus when he came to earth and ministered three years. What, what a great sample and foretaste of the day of the Lord to come. Uh, Jesus, God's grace in human form, ministering for three years. What a blessing. People were healed. People received miraculous provision. Sins were forgiven. The kingdom of God was coming. Demonic powers were being cast out. For three years, great blessing through Jesus uh, on, the, on the earth. It was the best of times. But at the end of those three years, Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Why? Because they had not recognized this foretaste and sample of the full day of the Lord to come. They had rejected the times of refreshing and the blessing of the Lord. And Jesus pointed at the temple and said, the time is coming soon when not one of these uh, stones will remain because judgment came 
And that judgment that came was the destruction of the temple in AD 70, and it was horrendous judgment. What was that? Well, just as Jesus was bringing a foretaste of the full salvation that will come at his second time, such destruction was a foretaste of the destruction that would come to the enemies of God that had not believed in his gospel at that great day to come. These two themes that are taking place. And I talk about living our lives in the light of the second coming. I think it sounds quite strange to many Christians today. I don't think many people think I'm living in the light of the fact that Jesus is coming soon. It was actually one quarter of the four square full gospel that the Pentecostals uh, changed the world with uh, around a hundred years ago. Our senior leader, Colin Dye, he, he gave us a series very recently this year on the, on the Pentecostal themes of the Pentecostal revival that started early in the 1900s that proclaimed Jesus the Saviour, Jesus the Healer, Jesus the Baptizer in the Holy Spirit, and Jesus the soon-coming King. Now, I don't think that many British Christians in particular, or European Christians, think much about Jesus' second coming at all. They think, well, if he's coming soon, he's taking his time doing it. 2,000 years and counting. Well, whether he comes soon in your mind or not, he is definitely coming. And when he's coming, we'd better be ready. Because the fullness of God's salvation is coming to his people, but also the fullness of judgment. And this passage that we read in Joel, it spoke about a fullness. It says, verse 13, Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come tread, for the wine press is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. You see, there comes a moment when there's a tipping point with God. A tipping point for his outpouring of grace and mercy, but also a tipping point for his judgment. There comes a time when there's a ripeness with God. A ripeness for revival, but also there can be a ripeness for judgment. Do you remember when God spoke to Abraham and said, you see the promised land? One day that's going to be yours, uh, and you will drive out the Canaanites, but not yet, because their sin has not reached the tipping point yet where they're worthy of such a judgment of being driven out. But when that comes, when the Canaanites sin and rebellion against God reaches that tipping point and fullness, then at that moment, what the children of Israel, when they come into their inheritance, God will also use them to bring judgment to the Canaanites. Well, there is tipping points in world history, tipping points where God judges nations, tipping points where God releases foretastes of the day of the Lord to come. But there are also tipping points when God sends revivals, when God uh, awakens his people. And you and I, we need to be able to read the times around us. And, And Joel, Joel is a template for us through which we can understand the events in world history that are going on now and uh, in the past. That's what Joel was explaining to the Israelites of his time, what was going on in this disaster in history and how they could turn to the Lord and respond to the Lord in it. Living in the light of the great day to come by responding to the samples uh, and harbingers of that day that we see 
in our lives and history today? How do you live in the light of something? I remember very vivid memories of 1977. Does anybody remember 1977? It was the Queen's Silver Jubilee. And uh, if you were around in Britain at that time, I was living in a small village in the Yorkshire Dales near, near the city of York. And for the whole of 1977, we were preparing for the big day of the Queen's Jubilee. I mean, the Women's Institute, they were having meetings every, every week about what they were going to do. We were preparing collages at school. I mean, the whole year, and even before that, everything we were doing, our daily lives, our weekly lives, our focus was on a day that was coming soon. We lived in the light of the day that would be the Silver Jubilee. In fact, just before the Silver Jubilee, the Queen was going to uh, drive from York, York, I don't know where, to somewhere else, and we as a village we're going to turn out on the road and we were going to greet her as she passed by as part of the Silver Jubilee. I remember that. I remember us going as a school and, and, and finding, finding the place on the road and we were there hours before the Queen came. And then the moment came when she drove out of York and passed our village and uh, the moment came and the moment went like that. I think we got two waves. <laughs> two waves. And as a boy I was, I was deeply disappointed. <laughs> I don't know what I expected. Maybe I thought the Queen would stop, get out, and shake us all by, by the hand. We'd been preparing for this. We'd been studying about this. It was our day, and it was like a couple of seconds. Was, it, was, was that it? I was, I was disappointed. And then on the Silver Jubilee, we had a great sports day. We were given special Jubilee medal, medals. And I remember, and the, the reason I'm saying this is that the whole year in the village was characterized by preparations for that day of Jubilee. We came together like never before. We had celebrations like never before. We prepared like never before. In fact, the day, the day that the Queen passed wasn't that fantastic, and the day of Silver Jubilee, well, that was, that was a crowning glory. But what, what, what really took place was the preparation in the village. We were a different village by the end of that jubilee because of, of the whole year of preparation. Well, it's a little bit like that. When Jesus returns, it's going to be a day of ju jubilee. And so we're preparing for that in our lives. We're thinking about that day and we're adjusting our lives in the light of that day of days that's going to come. Peter preached from Joel, and uh, I did a, uh, I think it, it, was, it was the last part, part three, when we spoke about, I will pour out my spirit. Because as the children of Israel in Joel's time recognized that Joel was saying, this plague of locusts is a sample of the fullness of judgment that's to come, as they recognized that, they responded to it and they turned to God in the midst of that plague and God turned things around for them. You know, on the day, that day, the day of the Lord, when Jesus returns, it'll be too late for people to repent. It'll too, be too late for them to believe. But now when we see disasters or shakings in our lives, you see, Jesus is going to shake everything that can be shaken so that people will be shaken off the things that will not last and put themselves founded on a kingdom that will last forever. 
That's why God allows shakings in your life. That's why God allows shaking in the nations. That's why God allows disasters to shake people so that they realize that what we're experiencing on the earth today is only temporary. It's temporary. Death could come to any of us at any time. It's temporary. That's why we have to shift in these temporary lives onto the things that are not temporary. They're eternal. They're things of the word. They're things of the kingdom of God that can never be shaken. We need to wean ourselves off the milk of this temporary world onto the eternal meat of the kingdom of God that will never, ever fail us. And so there was, in the seeds of this locust disaster, were the seeds of restoration and salvation. In every disaster or terrible event, until that day comes, there are within that terrible, terrible event, no matter how terrible it is, the opportunities and the seeds, not only for turning, for God, turning to God, but of salvation and restoration. Began this series uh, just after the Grenfell terrible tower fire disaster. And in that situation, can hardly think of anything more terrible to take place. Yet even in those, that terrible thing, there were the seeds of redemption. Do you know some people actually found salvation during that whole process? The community, in many ways, came together in ways that had never come together before because of that event. People have turned to God. People, people have found new expressions of love in the midst of that terrible event. Churches found a place where they could minister practically and spiritually to a broken community. Can't think of anything more terrible than the Grenfell Tower disaster. But yet within that disaster were seeds of redemption, seeds of restoration, seeds of hope. I don't know what you're going through, tests or trials. I'm not saying it's a judgment of God on your life. God will not judge you, but sometimes he will correct you and allow things to come into your life to shake you off the temporary things of the world and cause you to cleave to that which will never fail. God is at work in even the terrible things. There are the seeds of Redemption. Look for them and you will find them. Also, when God sends great blessing, I mentioned an illustration in the former part of this series about when I'd gone through a test, a trial, and I'd graded myself 7 out of 10 for the kingdom of God. I thought I'd done all right. And then I felt I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me on the inside of my life and say, well, well done, Bruce. You came through that test. But then I heard him continue by saying this, but you're not ready yet for my greatest test. I immediately began to start worrying what awful thing was going to happen. I didn't have much, that was only a millisecond of worry because the Lord continued, you're not ready for my greatest test, the test of my blessing. You see, we're speaking about the day of the Lord being, at the same time, a great day of judgment, but also a great day of blessing for those that are his. Are his. And when we turn to the book of Acts, and we're going to do that now, Acts chapter 2, we see that Peter prophesies from Joel, and when the day of Pentecost takes place and the Holy Spirit is poured out, 
And they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they, they, they run out of the upper room and, and they're speaking in other tongues and, and, it, and they're so under the power and mercy and grace of God that people think they're drunk. And then Peter says, wait, this that we're experiencing is what the prophet Joel prophesied and it shall be in those last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. You see, they were experiencing the blessing they were experiencing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But even the day of Pentecost was only a foretaste, a sample, as powerful as it was, of the power of God's salvation for those who love him when Jesus returns. It was a sample. And then he goes on, still quoting, he says, I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, and vapour of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and glorious day of the Lord. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Just like Joel, Peter is not only talking about this outpouring of the Holy Spirit that is a foretaste of God's saving power when Jesus returns. On that day of Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved. It was a foretaste of great saving power. But he also speaks of blood and fire and the sun being turned into darkness and the moon into blood, just like Joel was, was talking about. What's this about? When you read in prophecy in the Bible about the moon or the stars being rocked or shaken or darkened, what this is speaking about is the judgment of the authorities on the earth that are not aligned with God. The stars and the suns and the moons are pictures of the nations. Jesus is Lord of the nations. We see in this passage that we read in, in, in Joel that God is going to judge the nations. Peter then goes on in his sermon to speak about the fact that they put Jesus to death, but it was part of God's plan. This is his day of Pentecost sermon. He then talks about the resurrected Christ and the power of resurrection for all who believe. And then in verse 34, he finishes and says, For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So even Peter, like Joel, although he's talking about a move of great grace and salvation on the day of Pentecost, he's also speaking about judgment of the nations, judgments of authorities that have not bowed their knee to God, and that God is going to put, Father is going to put under his son's feet every rebel and every person that has been an enemy will be brought low, and that will happen on that day. And like I said, if you look into history, you will see samples and foretastes of both the judgment and severity of God on those that reject him, but also the graciousness and kindness of God for those that respond to, respond to him. It's the picture of his grace. And on the day of Pentecost, it was also a day for the nations. Going back just before Peter's sermon, what had happened? Well, they were filled with the Spirit, they poured out into the street, and in Acts chapter 2 verse 6 says this, And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together, 
and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. The disciples were just speaking in other tongues, but people were hearing them speak in their own languages. It continues in verse 7. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all of these who are speaking, they're Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya, around Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongue speaking the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity saying to one another, what does this mean? Jesus is Lord of the nations. We see in Joel that he is bringing the nations on that day into the valley of Jehoshaphat. The word Jehoshaphat simply means Yahweh judges. So we see that. But here on the day of Pentecost, there is a, a national, a nation's perspective to it. People from all around the known world on the day of Pentecost were hearing the great wonders of God supernaturally in their own language. What was God doing as he poured out his spirit on all flesh? He was bringing out of all the nations a nation to himself, a spiritual nation out of all the natural nations as he poured out his spirit. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. Peter understood it on the day of Pentecost and then as he wrote, he was reflecting and said in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you had received mercy. Kensington Temple is blessed to have within its DNA the nations of the world. At our last count, we had 109 different nationalities that were part of our ministry. It seems every month we are having our all-nation celebration, celebrating Ghana or Nigeria or India or the Philippines. Uh, when, you, when you look around in the services, you see people from every ethnic background and origin. This is God's plan. Many of us who are involved in our cell ministry and uh, have become part of Kensing Temple, we find ourselves friends with people that we would never be friends with if we weren't here at Kensington Temple, because perhaps we'd never come across one another. But here in Kensington Temple, this wonderful Holy Ghost melting pot. We celebrate our different national backgrounds. We celebrate our different redeemed cultures and learn from one another the things that God has, has put as redemptive characteristics in all of, all of the nations. This is God's plan. When he judges the nations, he will have called out of those nations a people from every tribe and tongue. Go into all the nations and preach the gospel to every tribe and group. So as we come to the end of Joel, and we've spent some time in Joel, 
Joel is a template for you to understand what's going on in the news today. In the destructive forces that are in the world and in the redemptive move of the Holy Spirit. There are samples of the day of the Lord to come. And God is looking for us to respond to him in the difficult times and also the times of blessing. If God blessed us, could we handle the test of his blessing? Israel could not handle the test of Jesus' blessing and they were judged because of it. When God blesses us and he wants to bless us, he wants to make sure that we will respond to him in the right way when the blessing comes, just as we will respond to him in the right way when the difficult comes or the trial comes or the nation is shaped or the community is shaped. God is looking for the correct response because the correct response will sooner or later bring God's intervening hand. The message of Joel is that we should live in the light of the day of the Lord to come, recognize and respond to the foretaste and samples of that day, both saving samples and judging and shaking samples. That complacency is a great danger and that sometimes God has to send shakings to us or we'd never turn to him in increasing ways. A rending of the heart is required. And next week I'll be starting a a new series, a short series, entitled The Altar of Your Heart. We've been looking at what God, how God works in the world out there. And next week, we're going to start looking at how God works in the world in here. Because the greatest work of God on planet Earth today is the work that he's doing in your heart and my heart we need to understand that work, cooperate with that work, and let him do what he wants to do in us and through us.